Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. So good to have you here with us today for episode 374 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, uh, he is one of the most repeated guests on the show. Every time we get a chance to connect, it is always glorious. Today, we're welcoming back to the program your friend and mine, Mr. Eric Ream. And uh, he is here to be sharing all about how to build a team so that you can sustain the growth of your business. Because the truth is, there, there comes a time in building your speaking business that's all just, it's too much. You got too much on the plate and you might be trying to manage all the moving pieces. But in the end, maybe you're starting to see some of that slip. You're starting to see uh, some of the spinning plates starting to crash to the ground. Now, Eric and I, we really agree that there is a right time to hire help, but it's crucial to be strategic about how you will grow your team. During this episode, we're going to unpack three ideas that you should consider when you do decide to build out your team. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to map out your organization, create needed margin, and also how to work well with vendors. My conversation with Eric provides the intentional stepping stones that you should consider as you build a team around you and continue to grow. There is nothing like learning from someone who is in the trenches themselves, and Eric is definitely one of those guys. So uh, let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Eric Ream. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Uh, today, we are chatting with uh, the lovely Eric Ream, the, the Ream Dream. I, I come up with various nicknames for him. I'm not sure which one's going to stick. But uh, Eric, good to have you back with us, man. How are you? It's fantastic, Grant. Always a pleasure to hang out with you. Thanks for the opportunity to ch chat with you for a few minutes. I'm looking forward to this today. Yeah, it's going to be good. So what we're going to be talking about today is how to build a team to sustain growth. And I think this is important for any speaker at any level to be thinking through, whether you're brand new, just getting started, you don't know what you don't know, or you've been at it for several years and you you realize like you're, uh, you're, a build, you're getting stretched a little thin and you're trying to think through like, how do I continue to grow? What does that look like? And so I think this is a good chance you and I are going to be really comparing some some stories, some more stories of uh, some of the the roadblocks that we ran into, some things that, that people want to be thinking about again at any level in your your speaking business. And because in the beginning, like most speakers are solopreneurs, that you and I were both in that spot. Uh, and at some point, though, your the, the business really begins to outgrow your ability to manage it. And so it's at that point that you really got to consider bringing others on board so that you can maintain your own sanity and really think through like, okay, where you know where am I going and and how do I build this? So, uh, Eric, I think for a lot of speakers we get to a point where we have like this aha moment of like something breaks down, something falls apart, something's not working. And you realize, okay, I, I cannot do this anymore. I'm spinning all these plates on my own. Uh, I'm starting to drop plates. Did you have a moment like that for you where you realize like, all right, something's got to change here? I did. I did. It was a day, Grant, that I went and get to get on the plane or check into my flight. And I had booked the same flight twice. And so what happened was, is I booked the flight forgot I booked it a couple weeks later, got on and booked it again, 
actually picked the exact same flight and everything. Didn't even realize I booked it twice until I was time to check in. I realized I had two tickets. So the nice thing was, is I didn't have my sitting next to me, but it, co- it, was, it cost me a quite a bit of money, Grant, just to have that empty space there. That's when I realized that maybe I needed some help. In fact, that's my signature message. My signature message, what I speak on, Grant, is all about significance. And I talk about, I believe that we all want to achieve some level of significance, but we can't do it alone. You're going to need the help of others. And it, that's the same with the, the business, the speaking business as well. And I'm, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and when the podcast a host said it in a way that I really liked. He talked about, he said, it's managing your liabilities. And so there's certain things that you do in your business that you're uniquely qualified to do, like speaking and creating content. But there's a lot of other things that goes with building a speaking business that's just liabilities to your time. And after a while, it sucks up your time that it gets to the point that you can't be creative anymore and you can't really do what you wanted to do because you have all these other things you have to manage. It's at that point, you're at a decision point. Is this a business or is it not a business? And if it's a business, then you need to consider maybe bringing on some help. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, Grant. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. And I think that you, you bring up a great question there that, that again, everybody listening needs to ask, like, is this a business or is this a hobby? And if it's a hobby, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if this is a business, you're wanting to, you're wanting to grow it. You're wanting to make a bigger impact. Then you got to be clear on what it is that you need in order to make that happen. And ultimately at some point it's going to, you're going to need some help. You're going to need to hire some people. Now, also at the same time, realize like, especially early on, it, it, you're, you're building a flywheel. You're trying to build up some momentum. You're trying to, uh, we talk a lot that, that speaking is very much a momentum based business. And so early on, you're just, it's like, you're pushing a boulder uphill, just like trying to get it going, just trying to get some momentum one foot in front of the other. I, I remember for myself early on, like, I remember like I edited my own demo video, you know, I've talked a little bit about that before. Like I used uh, windows movie maker, which I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, but like, I didn't know how to edit a video. Like I'm not qualified for it, but some of it's just like, okay, I'm going to just do this just because like, it's got to get done. I don't even know who to hire. I don't know where to find someone. I I couldn't even afford to hire someone. But so you're just, you're early on, especially you're putting in a lot of sweat equity, a lot of hustle, just trying to get the ball rolling. Uh, And like, that's, again, that's part of it. But again, at some point you start to reach that ceiling and realize there's only so much that that you can do. Nice. By a side note, do you actually have that old demo video still? Uh, I, I do, but you're not going to see it. <laughs> oh, I think that'd be fun. We should post it on social media. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I believe that the, uh, I believe that the video is available inside of uh, some of the course material, the students, yeah. uh, to just show as, as an example. Cause I think it's, you know, any, any speaker you look up to, you admire, you respect, and you think, oh, that, you know, they got it all figured out. Like look at their early stuff. Like my first demo video was crap. Uh, yeah. and I'm, and I, again, I edited it myself. But you, again, you, you work with what you've got, you improve as you go. Uh, so that, that first demo video was, uh, was version 1.0 and thankfully yeah, made I think it'd be good iteration social, since. You know, on social media, always put in where it started, where I am now. It'd be cool <laughs> to put that on social media, see your demo video, and then you sipping Mai Tais on your private Island. That'd be great to see those two next to each other. That'd be awesome. I'd love to see that demo video. So I'm going to start a petition. I think we should put it on social media. Let's get your old demo video up there. I think it'd be fun to see that. A tweet at me or Eric or DMS. Let us know if that's something that you need to see. All right. So let's jump into this. We're going to be talking about three different ideas to consider, to think about whenever you are building a team. So uh, Eric, let's jump in. I'm uh, why don't you take the first one? All right. Number one, Grant, map out your organization. So you mentioned the book and a previous episode you and I were talking about. It's E-Myth Revisited. Who's the author of that? Can you remember the author of that? Yep. Michael Gerber. Very good book. Yeah. yeah. So I read that book. Maybe you're the one that suggested it, but I read that book and it really, uh, it gave me an idea that I never thought about. 
And what he talks about in that book is you got to think about your what you're doing as a business. And so what he recommended in that book, and I did it, and it really kind of opened some things up and the idea that, you know, what does my business entail? And so what I did is I outlined what my business would look like if I were running a full-on business. And so what I'm going to do is I want to quickly go through this. But one thing I want to note, Grant, is that this is a base on how my business was going. So everybody may have a different idea what their business looks like. But the idea is you, you have these, these uh, duties that you're doing. In the beginning, you're doing all of those. But eventually, as you get cash flow and you want to maybe fire yourself, if you will, I love that idea of firing yourself on a certain task right. and then bringing someone else on, well, you want to have a, visually what these tasks would look like. So when I outlined mine, obviously, I put myself as the, the president and CEO. That's pretty cool. So I put myself there. And then under that, I had the chief financial officer. So you know, a fi chief financial officer is a person that would do the taxes and the bookkeeping. Then I had my mark, chief marketing officer of social media. Uh, email marketing, videos, things like uh, where I want to market myself through video. Then I had my chief information officer, software support, web development, hardware support. So these are things that I I would think about needing as I built my business as a professional speaker. Early on, when by the way, as I was building my business, I was I always saw myself as a professional speaker, and I wanted to be this professional speaker. So I, from the get-go, I looked at this like a business. So I outlined it that way. Then I had my chief sales officer. So an outside sales, sales rep and inside sales rep, then a chief content creator, someone who writes, writes books, speaks, course creator, video content, creating original content around my brand. And then operations, this is logistics, uh, executive assistant, customer service rep. Now, what I did, the next thing you do, Grant, and what they recommended in the book is next to each one of these duties, write the name of the person that supports this task. Well, in the beginning, the solopreneur, guess what? It's my name. So right. I wrote my name next to every one of these. Now, when I started creating cash flow and it was time for me to say, okay, I want to take some of these duties off. Now I go back to the org chart and I say, okay, which one of these do I want to fire myself? Well, the first one for me was, I didn't want to book flights anymore. I didn't want to worry about uh, booking hotels and all that logistics. So I literally took my name off there, brought in a new person, hired that person and did that. Now, I now have seven team members on, on my team and they filled various of the various areas of these spots. Like one of the ones I brought on early on was a tax person. Cause I just, that I'm, that's not mind numbing to me. So I outsourced that and hired a person to be the CFO. So they do my taxes and my bookkeeping. So I fired myself there. So as you create the cash flow and you start to invest, reinvest, you always go back to this org chart. And you, what, what I recommend is start with the lowest level. So usually the lower level you go, the least expensive. So bringing on someone to handle booking flights, calendar stuff, that's a little less expensive than bringing on someone that's going to handle all the marketing, if you will. So right. that's how I did it. That's the way I went about it. So when you're looking at this, if I'm, again, kind of playing devil's advocate here, if I'm listening, I'm going like, all that makes sense. I could see how I could hire a lot of those people to help me, but in some ways, like it, it feels like it could be overkill. Like, do I even need all those people? Like, I'm just trying to figure out how to book, you know, gigs consistently. And even if I book gigs consistently, I can't see necessarily needing all of these people, or I can't envision myself ever needing all these people. And again, maybe for you, if you back up a couple of years, you couldn't have seen this either. Mm -hmm. So what's kind of that right, right balance of thinking through like, okay, what do I potentially need over the next year or two versus like, what's just unrealistic and what's um, uh, maybe not even necessarily unrealistic, but like, what is it that I actually want? Because uh, you may, again, some of these may have been described and people are going like, I don't, I don't need any of those roles. Uh, and other people are like, I can't wait to hire that role. So how do you find like that right balance in going through this exercise? 
Well, in the beginning, you don't need any of these. In the beginning, it's all you. And yeah. and but going back to our original premise, there's going to be a point though that you're going to be so overwhelmed that literally you're working both ends of the candle, burning both ends, just trying to figure it all out. That's when you just get overwhelmed. You got to start taking some of that off. It goes back to managing liabilities and it goes back to what you're most comfortable with. Like for me, I've never been comfortable with taxes at all. So I wanted mm-hmm. to get that off my plate as soon as possible. To me, it was a fail if I was spending two or three hours trying to figure out taxes when I could spend two or three hours creating new content. So why not get that off my, my plate? Uh, and this is over time. This hasn't happened overnight. So I started really doing this in earnest in 2014. I didn't bring my first person on. And that was Alyssa who helps me with all my logistics until three years later. Yeah. So it wasn't until three years till I brought the first person on. And it wasn't until I would say the last nine months that I've really filled out the, where I have seven people now. I just brought on a social media person just recently. And up to that point, I didn't even do social media at all. Yeah. I just didn't do it because I didn't have the time, the money, or the wherewithal to do it. Now I do. It's just as my business grows, I have to grow my outreach and what I want to do with my business. So what you want to do is, is just plug in where it makes sense for you financially and naturally where it makes sense because you're just not strong in those areas. That's the way I did it. Yeah. Another caveat to make here is as you're kind of thinking through these potential roles that you may need at some point in the future is to remember that these don't necessarily have to be full-time employees. I think that was a big kind of limiting belief that I had early on is, okay, if I, I would love to have some sales help or some marketing help or some content help or tax help or whatever, and thinking like it has to be a full-time like W-2 salaried employee, and it does not. So I'm curious, Eric, even when in your own setup, you got seven team members. Are they, are any of them full-time? Are they all full-time? Like what, what does that kind of look like? No, none of them are full-time. And we're going to talk about that in point number three. I think that's important is that you're going to outsource it usually with people that have multiple clients, right? Most of the time they're, they're, they're doing this with many other clients and they have a specific skill set that they can bring to you. Like for instance, my, the person does my taxes. I'm one of like hundreds of clients that he has. Right. So that that's just a small, I'm a, I'm, I'm a small piece of the pie for him. So yeah, you're definitely going to outsource that most of the time with vendor type relationships. Cool. And again, we're going to be talking about, about that more here in just a second. So let's keep cruising on here. Uh, number two, create margin around the areas that you need to focus on. Create margin around the areas that you need to be focusing on. So a, a speaker's focus should really be on two primary areas. Number one is creating content, making sure that your speech is the best possible speech and presentation it can be. And number two is around prospecting. Now, Eric, when we talk about prospecting, like what, what exactly are we talking about? This is something we've, we've talked about here on the podcast multiple times. You do a great job with your own pipeline and, and teaching that. We've taught on that as well. Uh, but talk us through, like when we talk about prospecting, what, what exactly do we mean by that? It's any activity that's going to get you in front of a decision maker that ultimately can make a decision to hire you to speak or not. And so that that's very loose, meaning that it could be you reaching out to a family member who knows someone. It could be reaching out to uh, an event that you know that's coming up and you happen to have that person's email and you're wanting to see if there's some possibilities of you to work with that person. It could be you reaching out within your network of professional folks that you know to find the right event or event planner is going to get you in front of that person. The bottom line is it's you reaching out to the world that's going to open up possible lanes and opportunities for you to do what you ultimately want to do. And that is to get on a stage, virtual, live, whatever that stage looks like, so you can present your idea and exchange 
for what I call certificates of appreciation, which hopefully looks like Benjamin on, uh, on it, right? So where you get uh, money in exchange for that. So that's what prospecting is. And so we should be spending, you know, as much as 80, 90% of our time, especially early on, on prospecting, on creating content. And really, I'd say more heavily on the on the prospecting side. Now, again, here, this is a part that most speakers, uh, we like the idea of speaking, we like the idea of being on stage, but the idea of selling and marketing ourselves uh, is very, very difficult. It's something that a lot of us are not comfortable with. It's something that we feel like we uh, are not good at. The idea of uh, talking about ourselves as something, if we're selling a, a bottle of water and someone does, and rejects that bottle of water, like I, I can sleep at night. But if I'm offering myself as a speaker and you reject that, like that feels like that, that stings a little bit more. And so for a lot of speakers are hearing about the idea of hiring prospecting sales and marketing, like that stuff that pe most speakers want to get off the plate as soon as possible. Cause we don't like it. We don't feel like we're good at it. What would you say to those speakers who are going like, Hey, I don't want to be spending my time on that stuff. Uh, when really all I want to be doing is just focusing on speaking. Yeah. Uh, I think you probably could say that in every profession. And no matter what it is, I just yeah. want to focus on doing the thing I'm uniquely qualified to do. Well, in order to do that, you got to get people aligned that's willing to pay you for that service, whatever it is. And so any business, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be just speaking. Any business, there's a certain amount of time and energy to get your message out there. So people actually want to hire you for whatever that is. So I tell people when I work with folks in the speaker lab, I tell people that there's really either you're preparing to build the business or you're building the business. And there's a big difference. Yeah. So preparing to build a, building the business is like getting your website going, get your demo video going, uh, purchasing business cards like you did that helped you out so much early in the beginning there, Grant. I'm just saying that for fun, but uh, <laughs> doing all those things, right? But actually building the business is doing the prospecting part. That's yeah. when really the business starts. Everything else is just preparing to build the business. So time is precious, especially in the beginning. So if you have an hour to work on your business, the majority of that should be reaching out to folks to get, the, get, get them on the phone or get them to have that discussion where they might hire you. What you don't want to do is spend, if you have an hour, 45 minutes tweaking your website, do the colors look good or whatever, right. and then five minutes emailing out to prospects and then wondering, why is my business not working? You have a beautiful website, but nobody cares because you're not prospecting. You got to flip the script. 45 minutes got to be reaching out and prospecting. In fact, in my business, I made over $30,000 with no website, no demo video. I didn't have any of that. Mm. All I had was passion and a dream. Yeah. And I was just contacting people and saying, I think I get on your stage. And I had enough people hire me without any of that stuff. It wasn't until I started getting some momentum that I actually went back and then built a website and then got my demo video. Right, right. And you you talked earlier about the the book, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. He talks about the, he uses the analogy of a, of a baker. And so he talks about there's a difference between being a baker and running a bakery. And so he talks a lot about how like you may be a phenomenal baker and you bake the best cupcakes or cakes or breads or whatever it may be. But if you don't know how to actually run the bakery, if you're giving away all of your, your baked goods for free, then you're going to quickly be out of business, right? And so the same thing is true as a speaker. If you're just like, all I want to do is stand on stage and speak. It's like, yeah, that's part of the business. But the other part of the business is, is actually running the business of being a speaker, which includes you know, the sales and the marketing. And if anything, I would say that you have to, I, like, I remember, I'll give you an example. I remember early on in my speaking business, I had a, a, a mentor and friend tell me, 
that uh, you have to fall in love with the process, fall in love with the work. You know, it's like so often we want the result of it. It's kind of like going to the gym. You have to, you, we all want the, the end result of how we look and feel, but you have to fall in love with the process, the, the part that nobody wants to do. Fall in love with that of doing the work that gets you to the result that ultimately you're trying to achieve. And the same is, is true for a speaker. You want to be on stage, which is great, but you have to fall in love with the process and the work that's required to get to that stage. And so you, the, the more you're trying to just like farm that out to other people, the less likely you are going to be to, to get any type of momentum. Now you're smiling through that whole thing there. You got something to add? Every, every analogy you have is always food related. I like food. You know? I know. I, and I, mean, and I, I always, I always walk away from these discussions hungry because all you talk about is <laughs> cupcakes, buffets, bakeries, all the stuff I shouldn't be eating, man. So why do you do this to me? Delicious, <laughs> delicious stuff. So one, now one of the things that we kind of touched on, like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I, uh, I edited my own demo video. Uh, I worked with a, a friend to build my own, my first website. Now you want to absolutely like hire experts that are talented in like specific areas, like whether it's web development or tax preparation. Like I did my own taxes for several years using TurboTax, And then eventually got to a point where it's like this, this, I'm feeling less and less confident with what I'm doing. And I should probably have a professional take a look at this. But for a little while, I did it myself. And, you know, with tools that are available, you can build a good website today using like a a Squarespace or a Wix. That's fine. But at some point, like if you want to add a few more bells and whistles to it, getting, getting an expert, getting legal support or video production, like those type of things that eventually you're going to need, uh, you're going to need some help with. So Eric, for you, like, where did you start to hire people or start to consider like, okay, I definitely, I need some help here. And this is worth taking off my plate. All right. I want to take you to the exact order. Grant, are you ready for this? I'm ready. I've got my pen. Is, I'm ready to write this down. man. They, I, being prepared is my middle name. I am ready for this. <laughs> and so uh, what I did is I went back to my org chart as I started to build my business and one of the things I think I did early on that I'm, uh, I'm looking back at, it was a good move, is I just, we talked about this when we talked about a previous episode, we talked about cash flow and money, is I just kept reinvesting back into my business. I just kept reinvesting. And so once I had some money, I realized I don't have a website. And so the, one of the first hires I did was I hired a web developer. And I just said, listen, and this is back when I was charging maybe $1,500 per gig. And this is exactly what I told him. I said, I want a website that screams, you should pay me $5,000. All right. For that. And that seems adorable now too, thinking about it. And so that's what I wanted. In fact, my website right now is that same website. It's about to be updated. It's about to come out my new website. It's going to be exciting. I can't wait to unveil it. It's about to come out. <laughs> so that was my first hire. That was a, the, then the second one was I knew to, I, I needed a demo video. So I uh, was networked with a film producer out in Canada. He's an award-winning film producer. Guy's fantastic. And so he helped me make my demo video. And ever since then, we've had a relationship. He does all my videos. Even when I had to set up a virtual studio, he did all that for me. Then my next hire was the finance side of it. I, got to, I couldn't do the taxes. Uh, and then I ended up bringing on an accountant to do the bookkeeping for me. So I didn't have to worry about that anymore. That was the, the third. Then my fourth hire. Well, actually, was- just to clarify on this, like, so these various hires, these are are not again, full-time employees, no. W2 salaried employees. Like these are just no. for the most part, like project-based so far, right? That's not right. even just like ongoing, just I need, I'm going to hire you to do this one specific task. And here's point A, here's point B, give me to point B. And, and that's kind of the end of the transaction. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'm incorporated. And if you look at my, the way my business set up, I have one employee, me, 
I pay mm-hmm. myself. That's it. Uh, even though I have seven people working with me, I don't, they're all, what do you call, I can't think of the term 1099. Is that 1099. Yep. Yeah, all contractors. Yep. Yep. All right. So then in my next was logistical admin. I would tell you, this was a game changer for me. And you, you actually motivated for me. You, you had, was it Lisa? Was your Lisa. Person? Yep. Yeah. So I went out and got an Alisa. So I was motivated. I wanted to be like you when I grew up. So I got an Alisa. Some people call her Alyssa. Uh, so anyway, she came in and she did all my travel, customer experience, speaking engagement uh, agreements, email support. In fact, I just had a meeting with her today. I'm telling you, she's a game changer. She is fantastic. And then I brought an IT person to handle all my computer hardware. So I've got a few computers now. Uh, I got my whole house set up on Wi-Fi. He came in and set all that up. Software support, he handles all that. So this stuff where he's actually naturally strong and I brought him on. Then I brought on a second assistant, executive assistant. This happened to be my wife, actually. She quit her uh, teaching job as she, once she realized that uh, if I did two gigs, that was her entire salary for teaching for the year. And she's like, this is just ridiculous. So she quit her job and now she handles all my calendar management, my check management and dry cleaning. I don't get the checks. I don't do the dry cleaning. She does all that. And she handles all my calendars. And so, and in fact, she's the one that got us set up today uh, is she worked with your assistant my people got with your people. <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. And so anyway, we, we got together through that. And then just recently I brought on marketing, social media and email newsletters and things like that. So I have a, a group that's doing that for me. And then my two latest hires are in sales. So I've got two people now in my, that's helping me with my pipeline, one on the front end and one in the back end doing um, email. She's, he's my version of Chris. Mm-hmm. So he's pretty powerful. <laughs> uh, nobody, this is insider stuff. Nobody knows who Chris is, but Grant, Grant smiled when I said, Chris, Chris is he's, amazing. The reason, he's the reason that Grant can go on those sab- sabbaticals every other week because Chris is the, the <laughs> man. And then uh, the last or two others is book publishing. So one of my goals, and uh, I think it was two different professional speakers told me this, that if you want to be relevant in the speaking world, a, a book is like the, the, the thing it's, you get huge credibility as a speaker if you have a book. And so uh, I, I outsourced that and brought on some, a, a team to help me publish. It's going to be my sixth book coming out, but this is going to be my really official published book. And so that was a, a team I brought on. And then finally, I always had a coach or a consultant that I have on the team that, that coaches me and helps me. In fact, I had a coach today I was meeting with and we're talking about my sleep patterns and talking about my, my, how I manage my food intake while I'm on the road. So these are all team members that I brought in. So the coach was probably the, the, probably one of the last ones I brought on. So that's, that's how I did it. But how about you, Grant, where did you start building your team and talk to us about our journey? Because I know you started with Lisa, but when you and I were just talking about this, this is amazing to me. You have 22 people now that's on the team. So can you kind of talk us through, how'd you go from nothing to one to 22? What did that look like for you? Yeah. I want to go back for a second. Hang on. I want to talk about a couple of the ones you've got here. So like your logistics admin, that sounds like the one, your logistics admin, the executive assistant helping with, with uh, calendar management, some of the, the, financial management, handling checks, that sort of thing that those two, especially seem like the thing that most is for a lot of speakers is going to be their first hire is some type of administrative help. So I'm curious for, you've got them separated into two different roles there. Sounds Mm -hmm. like they could probably be one role. Can you talk us through like, um, uh, for them on an ongoing basis, are they, are they full-time? Are they part-time? Do you pay them hourly? Do you pay them a stipend? How, How does that work? 
uh, I pay them a monthly. So we agree upon ahead of time, like the logistical admin, uh, my Lisa, Alyssa, mm-hmm. uh, I pay her a monthly. I try to do your thing in the beginning where I paid her per gig Yep. and she didn't like that. She liked more steady. So we got back together and we figured out something. So I pay her a monthly on, you know, I, the expectation is that she does about 10 to 15 hours, but we really don't, she just does, you know, whatever she thinks best. And yeah. I don't really try to go outside of my boundaries. Same thing with the other executive since it happens to be my wife. I pay her X amount a month and she has certain duties she does for me. And it comes out to about five hours a week. I actually have a pretty complicated, uh, calendar system. I got four different calendars that I manage. That gets pretty complicated. So it, it's almost a full-time job just to make sure all these pieces come together. And so that's how I do it. I do them on a kind of a retainer and we kind of agreed on how many hours. So some day, some days, Alyssa may work 20 hours and then she may, the next week, she may not work, but four hours. So she yeah. just kind of manages it. I don't need to keep track of it as long as she gets it done. And how did you find Alyssa in the first place? Church, actually. Yeah. She, uh, she was an event planner and very good at it but she started having kids and I thought, Hmm, okay. I, I bet she may be open to, to want, not want to have to go back to work. So yeah. I just went to her and said, Hey, you want to do some stuff with me, still do your event planning type stuff, but not have to go back to work again. She goes, I like that idea. Yeah. And she told me this recently, it's the best job she's ever had because I didn't, I leave her alone. She gets to work at her own schedule. Sometimes yeah. she's doing stuff for me at midnight, Grant at night, midnight, get it done. And I don't care. She was doing stuff yesterday, Sunday that I noticed that I didn't, didn't matter. There's no hour. So she loves it. It's a win-win. Now, another thing I want to touch on is you mentioned that you work with your wife. Um, mm-hmm. And so there are pros and cons to this, but I'd just be curious, like your thoughts, how have you guys uh, navigated this? Has it been a, a win for you? Uh, Sheila, my wife has never worked in the business. We've been um, uh, intentional on that. Uh, and again, there's pros and cons both ways, but I'm just curious for you, like, what have you found that's worked? What are things they're like, ah, if you're going to do this, be aware of this. Uh, what Any just tips or advice on that, on working with your spouse? I, you, I think you got to be really clear about the expectations. And so I just made it really clear, hey, this is what I need from you. And she was good about that. She um, doesn't take much flack from me. So she puts my place pretty quickly. A lot of times when I get out of bounds, I think the main thing is the expectations. I just say, Hey, listen, the main thing is my calendar has got to be legit. And I need you to be responsive on that. As long as you do that, I'm good to go. I just make me make sure the checks and we just, she just knows there's And actually, actually I wrote down exactly what I needed to do. So on check day, she just goes through the checklist and what needs to get done. And she saves me probably I would say about eight or out eight hours a month on that, just managing that. And then I just told her when it comes to the dry clean, this is what I need. And I was very clear about it. So I think if you're really clear about it, uh, then, then it's good to go. Now I would say it's perfect all the time. There are times like, Hey, I need to get the responded. And there's the emotion piece out of it. She's like, Hey, I'll get to when I can get to I'm like, all right, what else? But if you want to go on that vacation in two weeks you might want to respond, you know, so that there's a little bit of that in there, but other than that, I think it's been pretty successful so far. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps that help me to grow a seven-figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. 
Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. All right, so you had asked about our team's growth. So really the the first hire that you kind of alluded to was Lisa. So I got to a point where early on in my speaking career, I was doing probably, uh, probably 15, 20, 25 gigs or so. And doing that many gigs, is there's a lot of moving pieces as far as like where they each are in the process. So who has paid a deposit? Who has not paid a deposit? Who signed the contract? Who do we need to follow up with the contract? Uh, what when uh, Do we need to book a follow-up call on this? We just did this event. Did we get paid on that event? Have we uh, booked travel for this particular event that's coming out? And there's just like every gig is at a different stage in the process. And so there's a, a lot of moving pieces. And so quickly I realized I, I need some help navigating this and managing this. And so Lisa was, was who I hired that you, you referenced there. Uh, and so Lisa, I also met through church. I just asked a, a guy that was on staff at church was like, Hey, I need a, a sharp administrative, uh, systems minded person. Who do you got? And they said, Hey, talk to Lisa. She'd probably be great. And interviewed her. Didn't really interview anybody else. And like, she was awesome. And she, we, were, we worked together for uh, like nine or 10 years or so. And she was phenomenal. And so she helped with so many of those logistical things. And like you kind of alluded to, uh, what, we did in terms of her compensation was uh, she was never a full-time employee. She worked from home. We didn't have an office or anything like that. Never paid her a full-time salary or anything. Uh, for the most part, I paid her per gig. And so the, the way that tended to work was when, uh, when I was busy, she was busy. Meaning that uh, as we both know, speaking can be very, very cyclical, meaning you'll have a couple of months where you're really, really busy in a couple of months where, or a month or a couple of weeks where you're just dead. There's just not your home. There's not as much going on. You may book a ton of gigs in one period and not book a gig for a whole month. And that's just tends to be kind of the, the ebbs and flows of the speaking industry. Again, depending on how many gigs that you're doing and kind of what it looks like for you. That's what we found worked for me. And so it's like, it doesn't make sense to pay uh, necessarily a, a salary or, or a stipend like that, because it's, it's always going to be fluctuating. It's always going to be different. And the other thing that I was trying to think about from a cash flow perspective was I didn't want to be paying a salary or have the obligation of a salary when I didn't really have much going on. I didn't, I didn't have a ton for you to do. And so what we ultimately figured out was with each gig, there's going to be a certain number of steps and thing and just a, a one page checklist for each event. And so I started paying just basically per event. And we would divide that up. So if I was paying her, let's say a flat, I don't remember what the exact amount was, but let's say a flat $200 per event. Okay. Um, then I would pay her based on when I got the deposit and when I got paid in full. And so there also was an incentive for her to follow up on these things, make sure that we're getting paid because she doesn't get paid until I get paid. And so uh, if it, let's say it was $200 per event, then uh, we would say you would get a hundred dollars when I get the deposit. When we get the deposit, you get a hundred dollars. And when I get the remaining balance, you get the other hundred dollars. Uh, and so that's the way we did it. And so when, uh, when I slash the business made a bunch of money, she made a bunch of money. And if it was slow and I wasn't making anything, I wasn't paying anything out either. And so again, that's what worked for us. Now I also did, um, because all those tasks that we just kind of outlined there are specific to gigs, but what about, um, you know, she's going to the post office or she's going to the bank or she's doing some of these like non, non event specific tasks. So for that, she was paid a couple hundred bucks per month as just a, a flat, you know, stipend retainer, whatever you want to call it. And so she, she would get that every single month, knowing that there's going to be some months where the non event tasks are going to be higher and some months where the non event tasks are going to be lower. But we found like that worked really, really well for us. And for many, many years, it was just me and Lisa. And that, again, that worked really well. The next hire that I made 
uh, as someone that was on now within that, I would say that we also like I had tax help and would hire, you know, various vendors for various things. But as far as like ongoing people, Lisa was the, was the primary person for many, many years. The next hire, as far as like an ongoing person, uh, was a guy named Jeff and we hired Jeff to help with some technical stuff. So at this point I started getting more serious about, um, doing a podcast, about doing an email list, about creating our first course and going like, I don't know any of these technical things. And so Jeff was basically someone who made the toys play nicely together. He understood, you know, WordPress and understood how to, to make the, the technical pieces work well together. Um, and so he helped a ton with that, not a ton about this, speaking business specifically, but more on the, the back end of the business. And so I think I paid Jeff on just a, a monthly retainer stipend basis. And he wasn't uh, full-time either for a little while. He was super part-time and then eventually was part-time. And we actually uh, shared him with another friend of mine. Uh, he was part-time with us and part-time with this other guy. And so like that, that worked well, well for, for several years. Um, now to, to, uh, not fast forward too much, but today, like you mentioned, we've got about 22, 23 members on the team, but the team also, the company looks vastly different than what it looked like several years ago. So when I'm not speaking nearly as much as I used to, uh, I'm my primary role and responsibility today is the CEO of our, of our company. And so that is, uh, um, supporting the leadership team of setting the vision of where we're going, of making sure that the, we help with the culture of the company that we are, uh, making sure that financially we're in a good spot. Uh, there's a lot of people that are counting on me to make sure that the, their, their paycheck clears. And so that's one of my big responsibilities is paying attention to those things. So as the business evolved from, less about Grant being a speaker and more about Grant running the speaker lab than the people that I was hiring and the, and the team members I was looking for evolved and changed. But early on, it was, it was me and Lisa for many, many years of just like, I'm going to book a gig and then you're going to make sure that they're taken care of. I'm going to book a gig and you're going to make sure that, and just oh, wash, rinse, repeat over and over and over. And for many, many years, like that was, that was the, the speaking business and, and uh, who I had to, to help me out. Yeah, that's cool. That's man. And and you're so much more, we almost do a podcast just on this journey that you've been on to bring on all these team members. Cause I've watched you. I don't know how many years I've been with you now, but I've watched you manage that navigate that when you bring on a new person and it, it works for a while, but then you have to move on from that and this managing it. And there's, these are two different skill sets. I heard a, a podcast on this recently and I, I never thought about this before, but there's a skill set of actually being a speaker. That's a skill set. But then there's a separate skill set of building a business. That's a yeah. skill set in itself. And I actually think you enjoy that actually more than the speaking, it seems to me. Like you really enjoy the business side of it. Am I wrong on that? Or is that is that no? I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's accurate. I remember a um a speaker mentor told me one time, he said, um, he said, I don't think you're a speaker. I think you're an entrepreneur who happens to be really good at speaking. Um, mm -hmm. and that, that resonated with me. Like I, I really enjoy building the business. I enjoy the team that we have. I enjoy the company that we have. Uh, I really, really enjoy that. And like speaking is still a lot of fun. I still really enjoy it. Um, but I really enjoy, you know, what, how things look, uh, look today. And it's certainly yeah. very different than, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. We talked about this before. I think this is just as important. You know, we talk about if you want to be a good speaker, one of the things you have to be good at is easy to work with, with event mm -hmm. planners. And I found this the same with vendors too, is that if you're easy to work with it, people that, that you hire, then they're going to give you their best. Like Alyssa is a good example. I pay her a monthly fee and she just had a baby and I just told her I'm going to continue paying her through the three months that she's off. 
Yeah. And she was really appreciative of that. When she came back, man, she came back roaring. She was ready to yeah. work because she realized that, you know, she didn't do anything for me for three months, but I wanted her to know how much I appreciated her. Um, and so those are the, the little things I found is that once you find somebody who's good, you want to keep them and you want to treat them right. Yep. So uh, let's talk about the third one, Grant. And the third one is, you know, the three things we talk about today. The number three is hiring vendors. We kind of touched on that. So I think one of the misnomers, like you mentioned, is that you're not you're not hiring full time people that need like health insurance and a 401k, like a job mm-hmm. type situation. You're hiring people that that have a clear, specific talent that you need them for. So you want to get clear when you're when you're thinking about hiring someone. There are really three things I think you got to get clear on. Number one, what do you want from them? What's the scope of work? You got to be really clear on that so you can find the right person. And they they're coming in a situation so they know exactly what you're looking for. What are the, what are the deliverables? And so at the end of the day, when you're evaluating whether or not it's working, well, one of the things they post to deliver on for you, like for instance, for, uh, Alyssa is, uh, when I show up, when I f- need to go to an event, do I have a plane ticket? Do I have a car waiting for me when I get there? Uh, do I have a hotel book? These are deliverables that I got to, she has to do to be successful. So what are those deliverable? What's the time needed to support the task? This is important. So Grant, if I were to hire you, for instance, you're busy, you got a lot of things going on. If I come to you and I, I'm saying, well, I'm not quite sure how long this is going to take. But if I come to you and say, I need five hours of your time to do this, then you can make a decision. Okay, yeah, I can, I can carve out five hours of this, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to if I say, well, I'm not quite sure. You don't know if it's going to be five hours or 15 hours. So you may not know exactly the time, but just have an idea. You know, so I've always had those three things. Uh, when I when I ask someone to work with me, the next thing is you're going to have to get clear on what you're willing to part with. Now, this is something I just learned recently. I want to get your thought on this. As I heard someone that they said they think is overhead as these are these are recurring costs, right? And most of the people that I hire these are retainers usually, and they looked at overhead as costs that doesn't have much to do with growing your business as far as sales and marketing. If it's somebody you hire for sales or marketing, then that's that's part of building a business. That's not necessarily overhead. Whereas like Alyssa, for instance, that's pure overhead for me because that's that's stuff that she's doing that's logistical based, but it's not creating revenue. Do you, do you agree with that or or you think differently on that? Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. Like you, you definitely have to be aware of like your fixed costs. So I think about like w- with the Speaker Lab, for example, uh, we have kind of two sides of the business. We have the sales and marketing side when they are, there's a direct ROI to those roles. And so whenever we are hiring a new role under one of those categories, one of those departments, like we have to be really clear on like, how does this person generate revenue? How does this person generate a, a return on what we are going to pay them? Uh, on the other side, you have operations, you have um, uh, our student success team, our coaches, and we have a, a lot of people in, that, in those departments. And so there's a lot of moving pieces for the business and for the company. Now, although th- those people don't necessarily have a direct ROI, we absolutely have to they're absolutely vital to the company and what it is that we're doing. But we also have to be aware of when we're adding them, we are adding some fixed costs. And so uh, have to be aware of like, what's, how we, how are they justifying that? How are they, how are we uh, paying for that? Uh, Where's that coming from? And so, um, yeah, yeah, I think you just, ultimately you have to be aware of like, what's the return that you're going to get for any role that you hire. So if we go back to like one thing I'll hear people say sometimes as speakers is, uh, I really need to hire someone that's going to help me, you know, with my podcast or help me with write blog posts or help me do social media or help me, uh, help me with my website. Like all that's well and good, but be really, really clear. Like, what are you wanting to get out of that? 
right? So let's say you have someone that writes blog posts for your website. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Is it going to move the needle for booking gigs? Probably not. And so like, what are you hoping to gain from that? And if the goal is like, well, ultimately I just, I want them to book more gigs, then is paying someone to write blog posts for you the best possible way to do that? Again, I would say no. Uh, and so that's where you got to get really, really clear. And like, again, what is it that you're the ultimate goal that you're trying to get to and then kind of reverse engineering and figure out this person that I am hiring, are they going to actually help me to, to get there to accomplish that? Yeah. So going back to the budget, I want to tie into our previous episode. We talked about cash flow. So you remember we talked about that 16 week. I always have my mm -hmm. cash flow project out 16 week. So the way I do this is if I want to bring on a new cost, I'll plug that in that spreadsheet and see how it affects my cash flow. And if I start to see the cash flow start to go down quite a bit, then I have to kind of play that out a little bit and say, okay, what tweaks I got to make in my operating expenses so I, I protect my cash flow. So that, that that's that's a really nice tool that I use is I have that cash flow and that use that 16 week tool that allows me to project 16 weeks out. This is what my my funds are going to look like. So if I'm going to add this new person on and if I plug their what I'm going to pay them in, how's that affect? That's key. So I think one of the things that is sometimes can be a little bit of a mystery for folks is, well, where do I find these folks? And you kind of yeah. talked a little bit about this. So here's what I would say. I would start with who you know. I, I think that we discount our network, most of us. Like you're a natural networker. I'm actually amazed by, I think we should do a podcast on this sometime about networking because you're really great at this. It's amazing how I come to you, Grant. And I say, I need help with this. And within minutes, you've got me connected with someone. It's unbelievable. It's, it's really great. In fact, you just helped me out with this just recently. And so I would start with who you know, and, and family and friends. Uh, in fact, my first uh, uh, bookkeeper was my dad. I ended up firing him because he just couldn't handle the technology. He wanted to do everything with a stubby pencil. And I was trying to get him to use Excel. And he would call me up and say, how do you use this stupid wireless mouse? I'm like, this isn't working, dad. And so I had to fire him. And he goes, that was the best fire I ever got. I've never been fired before, but I'm so glad you did. But you can start with family and friends first. Then you can go to your community network. People that you know in the community say, hey, who's a good web developer? Who's a, a good tax prep person that I could hire or work with? And so I would don't discount that. Then you can start looking at professional services like a Fiverr and Upwork. There's professional companies out there that actually will match you up with virtual assistants. And so you can go through that route. But I would always start with who you know. What are your thoughts on that, Grant? Yeah. And we've kind of touched on this, even as we were walking through, you know, both of our initial hires and kind of, you know, how that has progressed. And again, although the businesses may look very different today, where we started for the most part was still like a lot of vendor relationships. And so, you know, you are hiring them for one specific job and that may be a, you know, for a one month period or for one specific project, or maybe it's an ongoing thing, but they're, they're a vendor. They're not a, a full-time employee. That's very, very part-time. You're hiring them to do one specific thing. And so one thing I'd piggyback on that you mentioned, the thing is so important is to get really, 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 really clear on what it is that you're wanting them to do. So, so often speakers are kind of like, I just, I know I need help. It's like, okay, doing what? It's like, I don't know. I just need help. Well, if you're not clear on that, you're never going to be able to, uh, to know what you're looking for and whether or not you found that person or not. So you have to be clear and that's going to take some second. It's going to take a minute here to really like think through them. What is it that I'm looking for? Where is it that I'm stuck? Where is it that I feel like, uh, where do I need to be spending more of my time? Where do I need to spend more of my energy and focus? Where can I get someone that can take some things off of my plate? But you, again, you won't know what, uh, who that person is until you get super, super clear on what it is exactly that you're looking for. Once you're clear on that, then you can start to put the, the feelers out to, like you mentioned, your family and friends post it on social, you're, uh, asking around the community. And again, even like, so for example, this, this, um, uh, example you just referenced of going like, 
you know that I personally don't do the thing that you were looking for, but you know, like, okay, maybe I do know of someone, right? So my mom is not a bookkeeper, right? But she may know of someone who is. So again, letting people in your sphere of influence know, here's what I'm looking for help with. Does anybody know of a, of a graphic design person? Anybody know that someone could help me with my website? And again, the more specific, the more tangible you are, the easier it is for people to be able to come up with something. So if I said, um, uh, you know, if I post on social today, like, Hey, I'm looking for someone who can help me with my health. Well, it's like, what does that mean? Like you looking for someone that can help with like meal planning or someone that can help with uh, like personal training or someone that can help with whatever it is. Like that can look a whole lot of different ways. So if you say, I'm looking for someone that can help with my speaking business, like to do what that there's a whole bunch of things there. So the more specific, the more clear you are, I think the easier it is to start to find the type of person that you're, you're actually looking for. Now, once you start to find some of those referrals, like reaching out to them, following up with them, interviewing them, um, ideally you're talking with multiple people. I'll tell you at this point in the business, when we're hiring for a role, a lot of times we try to or we try to have at least a hundred applicants, which is way higher than what we had early on, but we try to get at least a hundred applicants. And in fact, for one role we hired uh, last year that you helped with, we had over 300 applicants for, and we, the more people you have versus just going with the very first person, you and I may have got lucky that very first time. Cause when I hired Lisa, like all I talked to is Lisa, right? But you have no, you have no point of comparison there. You have no point of reference. You're just like, ah, Lisa seems good. And thankfully she was, but that's also like really, really dangerous just to go with like, I talked to someone, they seem like a good fit. No, no, like actually follow a, like a hiring process to making sure that you're, you're getting the best possible person for what it is that you're wanting to do. And then the other thing I would mention is to do a, a trial basis, a trial period. And so have a clear uh, uh, entry ramp and a clear exit ramp. So for team members now, a lot of times we'll do like a three-month trial period with, with even, even employees of saying, hey, before you become an employee, you're going to be a contractor for three months. We're going to just try this. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We shake hands, we go separate ways. And like, it's not the end of the world versus feeling like, Hey, it's our first date. And you know, we're committing to marriage here. Like, don't do that. That's a horrible idea. So think of it as a trial. Think of it as a, this is going to be a trial period. And that, that will definitely make things go uh, a lot smoother for you. Yeah. And that, that's one of the reasons I like the vendor concept is because you can enter a relationship very quickly, but you can also exit that relationship very quickly. So that's that's one of the nice things about that. So I love that a lot. And remember, like you said, it's experiment. And then, you know, as we talked about earlier, set the expectations early to find success so they know what success looks like. And I think one we haven't talked a little bit about much on yet, but that communication is key and you have to let them know how often you want to communicate. So like, for instance, I carve out on Mondays for me is my day to communicate with anybody on my team. So like before I got on this, this podcast episode with you, I had like three or four meetings with these vendor relationships that I have. And I said, I let them know early on that, Hey, I want to talk to you at least once a week. And these are things I want to talk about. Yeah. So they come to these conversations with me and when they know exactly what we need to discuss. We only takes about 30 minutes. We get through it very quickly, but that's really made all the difference. So yeah. All right, we've got a we've covered a lot here, um, and this is going to be a little bit of a, a longer episode. I'm sure there's plenty more we could still cover, but let's recap here what all we, we've talked through. So, number one, uh, mapping out your speaking organization. This is where we talked about. Uh, I'd recommend get that book, The E Myth, by Michael Gerber, and again, kind of think through, play it out in your mind over the next couple of years. What do you ideally? What are the future roles that you're going to need? Where are you going to need support? Right now, you're going to be wearing all of those hats, but start by mapping out your speaking organization. Number two is creating margin around the areas that you need to be focused 
focusing on. So the two big things that we would recommend and teach is one around creating content and the bulk of your time really spending on prospecting. Nobody can sell you better than you. So don't look to farm that out. Don't look to, to have someone else do that. You focus on that. And then number three is to hire vendors, hire vendors, and again, get clear on what you're looking for, get clear on what is it that you need help with. Uh, and then you can start to put the feelers out to your own personal networks, to people that you may know, to ask around, but to find the people that can uh, help fulfill what it is that you're looking for. Yeah. And I think one of the things too, that's really neat though, that is kind of a serendipitous is when you start having people work with you, you really develop some really good relationships with them and you start to get aligned on what you're trying to accomplish with your message and things like that. And I, you just had something really special happen. I thought was really cool where you actually brought uh, all the folks that could make it boom with the entire team to a retreat. And just from an emotional standpoint and looking back on reflecting on where you are, what was that like to have all these people in one room that you work with for the last few years? And some of them, you had the first time you saw them in person, Grant, right. you've been working with them for a while. So what was that like for you? Yeah. So we just did this a couple of months ago at the time of this recording. And, uh, we, we had, a we had about 20 people that we've, we, the company paid for them to fly down to Orlando. We were in a couple of big houses, uh, and it was a, it was a major investment, tens of thousands of dollars that the company spent, uh, to get the entire team together. We're an entirely virtual company. Like you said, most, uh, there's a decent number of team members I've never met in person. Um, and, and even, uh, so for example, our, our CFO, we've worked together for about five, six years, had never met in person, never been in the same room together. So it was wild to, to, to get together with, with a lot of those people. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was really, really cool. It was really, really fun. We absolutely had a blast. I had high expectations going into it and it was it far surpassed those things. Uh, and then to your point that, that there are, um, there are people that if you do this right, if you find the right people, you treat them well, you create an amazing environment and culture that people want to be a part of, then it becomes so much more than work. Like, I, I look forward to Mondays. I look forward to catching up with people, not from a, a heavy handed, I'm the boss. You got to, let's get back to work. Nose to the grindstone, but just like, what'd you do over the weekend? I just miss you. How's your family? How's your, you know, I heard your grandma was in the hospital. Is she doing better? Or how was that vacation you just had? Or, Hey, I, I saw you just bought a house. That's amazing. Like, when are you moving in? And like, I genuinely deeply care about the team. And so to be together in person for a couple of days, just hanging out, talking business, talking shop, talking life, um, was incredibly, incredibly rewarding. Uh, and I'll also selfishly say, you know, if you want to be a part of this, if all this is sounding amazing, you're like, forget speaking. I want to be a part of the speaker lab, like email me, hit me up. We would love to work with you. We're always looking for amazing people. And uh, so, yeah, we'll, we're already planning our, our next retreat. And so uh, yeah, you, you got to get on the bus and hopefully we can, Eric already had a booking uh, so he couldn't make it to the, this recent team retreat, but hopefully we'll get you the next one. All right, man, we've covered a lot here. And uh, again, we, uh, we appreciate you guys uh, hanging out with us, joining us today. Uh, the reality is, is like, if you're spending too much time building your business, then you got to be focused on what are the things that only you can do. So don't, if, if all this feels overwhelming or confusing, like take baby steps, you don't have to do all this overnight. You don't have to hire a whole bunch of people tomorrow, but start to get clear on what is it that only you can do and then again, you can start to look to hire people that can help you support you as you build and grow your speaking business. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you, 
is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. Again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us and we'll catch you next time. You're awesome.